Welcome, everybody. Got an interesting guest today. A little livelier, different conversation than we have been having, though there is uh, some interesting material here as it pertains to hospitals and the conflation of COVID and climate. It is Mark Morano. He is the author of The Great Reset. You can follow him at, at Climate Depot on Twitter. Uh, again, I want to get right to him, so let's let's do so. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I want to share with you a teeth whitening system that goes beyond merely enhancing your smile. Primal Life Organics Real White Teeth Whitening System offers convenience and rapid results without harsh chemicals. Light, blue light for whitening, red light for gum and oral hygiene, and you can just do both if you wish. Works naturally, promoting gum healing, tooth remineralization, gives you a brighter and a healthier smile. Again, no peroxide involved. Consistent usage yields remarkable results. Take this opportunity to transform your smile and at the same time, optimize your oral health. Aim for five times a week for the best outcomes. Discover more about this remarkable teeth whitening system and other products at drdrew.com primal today. That again is drdrew.com P-R-I-M-A-L. You can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works. Genucel Skincare. Genucel is the secret to better skin. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show when just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Susan and I love GenuCell so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to GenuCell.com Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. So as I said today, it's Mark Moreno. The book is called The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. I'm fascinated by that frame. Uh, there is the book right there. Uh, he is bringing together as a consilience in his argument in a lot of the things we've been going through the last few years. And uh as we've been trying to make sense of what's been going on, Mark, I think, adds another layer to this whole conversation. You can follow him at Climate Depot on Twitter. Please welcome Mark Moreno. Thank you, Dr. Drew. Happy to be here today. Thank you very much. So we appreciate you being here very much. You were telling me all kinds of things before the mics heated up. I said, well, hold up. I want to get this all on, <laughs> on for where people can listen to it. Talk to me for a minute about the 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 conflation of lockdowns 
and how COVID seems to be an opportunity for a permanent health crisis. Now we're going into climate crisis. Yeah, what happened was in March of 2020, when unfortunately Donald Trump signed on the COVID emergency declaration and signed on with Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci, two weeks to flatten the curve, that set the stage in the United States, of course, was also happening globally, for the complete shutdown of the global economies and shutdown of airline industry, shutdown of travel. Now, most of us were horrified at this and just couldn't believe it or thought, okay, two weeks, we can do that and then we'll reopen. But a certain segment of the population, two segments in particular, public health bureaucrats and climate activists and the climate establishment loved this. We had people like Teen Vogue climate activists, Jamie Margolis, say if the world can shut down for a virus, we can do the same thing for climate. John Kerry, the climate envoy for Biden, said climate, COVID and climate, the parallels between the two are screaming at us. And what happened was a little group called the World Economic Forum in Davos was established in 1971 and the, the originator of, of really of woke capitalism. He came up with stakeholder capitalism, Klaus Schwab. And the genius of the World Economic Forum is they bring presidents, prime ministers, royal family, cabinets, bureaucrats, corporate CEOs, millionaires and billionaires, all off the books every year in Davos for meetings for people who don't ever really want to meet in public and don't want to go through all the lobbying and disclosure rules and have scrutiny back at home. So they bring them all together. And this is where you get a lot of this corporate government collusion coming directly from Davos, from these meetings. So what happened was in June of 2020, just three months after the initial lockdown, the head of world, uh, Klaus Schwab, announced to the world that now is a rare, narrow window of opportunity by which to reset the world this time in the name of climate change. And he said, we'll build back better. And he said, this is a great reset. Well, immediately, Joe Biden used the phrase build back better. You had uh, Justin Trudeau saying the phrase great reset. You had Al Gore on Today Show using it. All of our climate activists, a lot of the Western leaders immediately jumped on this. And remember, the World Economic Forum is deeply entrenched in every world government. In fact, he brags that he penetrates the cabinets of half the world. And, and he really does. If you look at who comes out of the Young Leaders programs, all the training programs, all of the uh, affiliates between a lot of these presidents, prime ministers that come from the World Economic Forum. Anyway, make a long story short, they did a narrow window of opportunity. And that's when essentially they said, we're going to, the lockdowns are great. We have to keep this going. And the most important aspect of the lockdowns was they bypassed democracy. And that's what climate had been missing for decades. Uh, they had originally, Obama tried cap and trade, failed. John McCain and Joe Lieberman tried cap and trade, climate bills in Congress, failed. Uh, and so they realized we're not gonna get this through democracy. They didn't need to anymore. March of 2020 changed the entire climate debate. They could now bypass democracy by essentially doing this all through the executive branch and doing it through court, uh, bypassing the, even the courts. In many cases, it takes years for the courts to catch up. But essentially, we're now modeling ourselves after one party ruled China the same way in COVID. And this is the key point. We had churches closed, schools closed, businesses closed, weddings, funerals canceled, mask mandates, mask mandates. What did all those have in common? No one voted for it. You can look at Europe, you can look at Australia, New Zealand. These were all done under emergency decree. And they were done by once free Western democracies, the largest intrusion of personal freedoms outside of wartime. I think in the US history, you could almost argue in terms of general population, obviously you have slavery, segregation, but I'm talking about 
so what happened was Japanese internment in Japanese internment, obviously. Yeah. So what happened was this is you had the bypassing of democracy. And if you go back and I do in the book, you can start decades ago. New York Times, Tom Friedman praising China's one party rule. You have Justin Trudeau admiring their basic dictatorship. U.N. climate chief saying U.S. democracy detrimental to climate agenda. You have the Apple CEO saying Apple and, and China's values align. You have world Klaus Schwab himself praising China's one party rule. So what happens is the West became one party rule. The most consequential decisions in peacetime for the broad majority of Americans were made without a single vote. You were masked, school canceled, stay at home orders. And that is what really piqued the interest of the climate activists. And that is why the rare narrow window of opportunity, that is where the World Economic Forum stepped in. And that is where we are today, three Three years later, this is in full swing. They're making the most out of that, quote, rare, narrow window of opportunity to reset the world. There's a piece, there's an interesting piece of history as it pertains to lockdowns, which is that uh, they were never contemplated. That seemed like there's no literature, there's no science, there's yeah. no precedent, there's nothing. Uh, China did it, then we got hoodwinked by their scientists yes. who made claims that they had eradicated um, yes. uh, COVID in China. But that wasn't the big thing. The big move was when the Lombardy in Italy, the Lombardy uh, politicians yes. decided to model what they were doing after China and then later published a book where they said explicitly they really weren't doing it because of COVID. They were doing it because they admired China's ability to do these things. And it was an opportunity yes. to show how that kind of party. And then we jumped and the whole world jumped in after that. It was one of the biggest hoodwinks in, in oh, it's got to be the biggest hoodwinks of all time. But to that point about this one party rule and you know, non, being non-democratic, have you seen the World Health Organization's new plan to be the sovereign entity in the world above all the other elected sovereign officials? Yes, I, I, I feature that. Even the Washington Post called it the World Health Organization's radical pandemic treaty. And what they're trying to do here is think of Sweden, think of Ron DeSantis in Florida or Christy Noem in South Dakota. They want a global treaty, which the Biden administration is actually wants to go further than the World, the World Health Organization. They want to be able to impose global instant lockdowns, travel restrictions, vaccine mandates, and they want to get rid of the outliers like Florida, like Sweden, because they don't like the dissent. And this is going forward. Uh, at least with the Biden administration. Now, Donald Trump pulled us out of the who, then Joe Biden put us back in. So this is going to be an ongoing uh, battle. But this is the most frightening thing because you have a Bill Gates-funded scientist. And remember, the United Bill Gates' foundation is only number two to the United States government in donations to the World Health Organization. But if you add in other Bill Gates entities, he is either equal to or slightly surpasses the U.S. donation. So what we're really saying is that a Bill Gates-funded scientist at the WHO can declare a pandemic, and then the United States will be following this global instant sort of lockdown or whatever the WHO recommends. Their recommendations will then become policy. It is perhaps the most frightening aspect of this that we're currently facing. And unfortunately, it seems like Capitol Hill is dead to this and not even really paying much attention. You don't hear senators, congressmen talking right. about That's this, right. fighting back. So It's true. So what is convincing them that this is a good idea? To, what they want to do is eliminate the lockdown, the eliminate the outliers who had better outcomes, yes, whom the evidence suggests the were doing the correct thing. What? So what is convincing them that they need this authority? 
Well, what's convincing is because you have outliers, it show it undermines confidence in the public health messaging. This is why you know you have people like Robert Malone who are banned, but you have Peter Hozak who literally started out by saying you need one shot at work, so you need two, and he got to the point where he's saying five or six. The public health advocate who refuses to debate on Joe Rogan and, and with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Hotez. Hotez, yes. So th the reason they have to get rid of the outliers is because it shows that they're wrong and it makes people question. But the other thing is you mentioned China. China, the who is beholden to China? Tedros is in their pocket. If you look at it, Bill Gates just was in China this week praising Xi Jinping. And what happened was, go back to January 2020, go back to February 2020, the World Health Organization sent a, a sham investigative committee to China and they praised China for their openness. They praised China for their pandemic response, which was the most draconian totalitarian lockdowns. And they literally said the phrase, if you want to know how to handle this pandemic, copy China. And that's exactly what the rest of the world did. And you mentioned Lombardy, Italy. Then at one point, Anthony Fauci, I believe it was February of 2020, actually said, can you imagine us doing what China's doing? You know, imagine New York City or San Francisco shutting down. He couldn't imagine right. that happening until until they could imagine it. And that's why so so that's why this pandemic treaty is so critical because they want to get all the wrong lessons of what we experienced and they want to codify it into an international treaty, much like they tried for years with the climate treaties. But the climate treaties were paper tigers and, and literally look quaint next to what they're trying to do with public health at the World uh, Health Organization. One of the things that confuses me, uh, by the way, I, I recently went down a, a rabbit hole with uh, Juiced Merlu, uh, a Danish, is he Danish or Dutch? Dutch, I think, uh, physician. Did you know this guy? Juiced Jost Merlu? No, I don't know that one. Okay, M-E-E-R-L-O-O. -O. He was a, a victim of World War II, Jewish guy, I believe, and observed carefully how totalitarian, totalitarianism comes in yeah. and what it does and the techniques it uses. And they studied China, they studied, it's all the, always the same. And it, one of the key elements he had in there was they induce fear, repeated episodes yes. of fear and propaganda and fear and propaganda. And that they do it in the name of doing good for the world and for people. It's always yes. with the best of intentions, always. Uh, and yet the, the amount of harm that is done in every historical uh, piece of evidence we have is just astronomical. And the only the only sort of uh, way out is by resisting, right? And that's why it's interesting. I've often felt here like we're doing sort of a French underground kind of resistance strategy here with you know broadcasting different ideas and different things. and it's just it's just putting it out there for people to have access if they do with it what they will, but give people the opportunity to think about things differently. And when it comes to this particular topic, one of the things I don't understand is what is the expectation? Let's just let's just let me just assert something. World seems to be climate is changing. Climate is changing. I'm just going to assert that climate is changing. Of course, under my breath, I can easily say climate has always changed. Whatever. What is the expectation that we can change that? Let's say we all got together in unison in a World Health Organization style mass something. 
what is the expectation that we could change the way the Earth climate behaves? Is there really people that think they can? It's literally like, can they can they switch the axis? Can we make the globe not turn? It feels like that kind of a of a thing. Even if even if you assume that we contribute to it, it's our contribution yeah. in in reversing it's not going to reverse anything, is it? Is there an expectation of that? I mean, there's definitely an expectation of that, but I don't even talk about climate science anymore, mostly because they don't even care that much about it, meaning meaning the UN and World Health. They've just declared it a climate emergency and they want to impose these policies. Now, John Kerry on multiple occasions, the climate envoy has said, even if the United States zeroes out our carbon dioxide emissions to zero, till we literally shut everything down, the world won't even notice, essentially. It will keep basically keep going up. Right. China now, right. India, all the developing world. So even if you believe the scare, nothing we can do will change it. So everything we're doing is sort of a virtue signal in hopes that the rest of the world take leadership and the rest of the world will follow. But you'll have like the UN, uh, no, the, e, the uh, UK energy chief a few years ago when we were going through like, you know, a climate pause and the temperature drops a few years in a row, she actually started crediting the solar and wind mandates with essentially cooling the earth and changing the climates. So they actually do believe this. But you mentioned something important, Dr. Drew, is the fear. In the book, I quote a BBC historian that goes back to the Roman Empire that sent into the Roman Republic through the Middle Ages. They used emergency powers, in other words, crisis, we need, to, we need to seize power. We need to have no dissent because we're facing a crisis. So through the Middle Ages, through the Germany, 1930s, think back to 9-11 when we had, and we're still living under that, by the way, that George W. Bush, 9-11, essentially terrorist emergency, gets extended by every president. Joe Biden just extended it. That, of course, brought on domestic surveillance of U.S. citizens, which later you know, would be Parents would be considered domestic terrorists by the Justice Department. All that's a legacy of the 9-11 Emergency Powers Act. Then you had the COVID um, declaration of emergency, which just ended only because the Republican Congress forced Biden's hand and a few Democrats. That just ended in March of this year. Years of that. And what do they want to do next? Using this fear, Joe Biden is being urged by AOC, by Senator Markey, by Senator Schumer in New York to declare a national climate emergency. Again, this is similar to the COVID, similar to the 9-11 type emergencies. And Biden, the Center for Biological Diversity estimated last summer that this would give Biden 130 new executive powers, but not just Biden, mayors, governors, they would have the power potentially to say there's a climate emergency. We're going to have gas station, odd, even days. We're going to limit car travel. We're going to shut off you know, travel in the city. We need to put in a higher gas tax. We don't need the legislator because we're operating under the emergency. We have 130 new executive powers. Health you emergency. You see how this works? Health emergency. Yeah, and this is so, health emergency. Exactly. The health, just like yeah. the health emergency. So throughout history, the ruling class has always tried to find reasons why the rest of us can't be free. And you are spot on when fear is the number one uh, tool that they use to convince us. Fear of terrorism, fear of a virus, fear of a climate. And only they, the experts, the expertocracy in which we live, can impose this upon us because they think if left to our own devices, we'll create inequity, racism, environmental destruction, because we're all we're not as educated as the people who have PhDs in climatology, PhDs in public health, decades of experience. In other words, if you're a parent of a, a first grader who's masked eight hours a day, how could you go to a school board and say, 
I don't want my kid masked anymore. Their response back would be, we have public health experts with 30 years experience, PhDs who've studied this and they're doing this for your own child, your children's own good. Who are you to question it? You're a plumber, you're a mechanic. How dare you question that? You have no say in this. That is the whole version of the, of the hellscape in which COVID brought to the fore in March of 2020. So using fear, again... So glad I didn't have little kids. So using fear <laughs> is something that is anathema to proper public health. And yet yes. that has, it was a major instrument during COVID and people seem enamored with it. I, I can only conclude it's for the same reason that Joost Mirlu um, observed many, many, many times in his historical documentation. But my more... Again, the, the, the thought bubbles over my head of what's going on always. Why are we not also, uh, let's again, let's assume, let's just state for uh, an assumption that there is a climate crisis and we do contribute. Let's just state that, let's just say that's a given. Why aren't we shining a light on or advocating for the thing that has always gotten us out of real crises, which is technology and innovation? Why aren't we talking about carbon capture? Why aren't we talking about forestry management? Why, why aren't we talking about things where we innovate, which is what this country does better than anybody, to get yeah. us out of trouble, as opposed to hiding under our bed? Well, my real question is not why we don't do that, but what has happened to us that we've lost our ability to understand that that is how we get out of trouble? Yes, in fact, here's a good example. You're spot on, 1970, the first Earth Day. You know, I can have some ambivalent feelings about it because you you had a you had a, a, a subset of radicals that have continued Earth Day or a part of Earth Day. But the general thrust of 1970, the first Earth Day, was Americans disgusted with the air quality in big cities, the water quality in rivers, mm. and the the pollution and trash throughout our cities and and, and towns. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the very good thing that happened. And so what that did more than any regulation is it sent a signal to businesses, to government leaders, and to the population that people value a clean environment. So what happened since 1970? Radical improvements in air quality and water quality to the point now where even the World Health Organization says the United States has among the cleanest air in the world. Okay, so we're one of the leaders when it comes to clean air, clean water. And what we've done at the same time is increased our population, increased our economic growth dramatically. We did it through technological innovation. If you really did care yes, about food CO2, supply, listen. When I was when yeah. I was last worried about this in my life, I was you know 22 years old, and it was acid rain, and it was algae yes. blooms, and it was uh, it was the um, phosphates, and we were done for. There's going to be massive famine. That's it. It's over. And then the botany biologist came up with solutions. And that was the end of it. I mean, every single time when we get out of trouble, it's because somebody innovates. And we do have innovation on the books. It's just not being emphasized. Yeah, in fact, I, I, one of my things I did, I, I grew up sort of a Republican environmentalist, didn't like Ronald Reagan's, James Watt, his interior secretary, didn't like all the logging. I was so concerned about the Amazon rainforest. If you remember, this was the issue du jour before yep. climate. You had Sting's yep. rainforest concert, which I actually, I actually interviewed Donald Trump at Sting's rainforest concert in the late nineties. I mean, he was attending. Howard Stern would go to these, all these, you know, Hollywood celebrities. Disney did movies on it. All the National Geographic. 
Well, what happened to that whole scare? 2008, the right. New York Times, I did a documentary on it called Clear Connect, but 2007, I believe, was the New York Times did an article for every acre of rainforest cut, 50 are being regenerated. It's what you're saying, technology and, rental, and innovation. The poor migrants who lived in the jungles moved to cities. So first of all, they're leaving the jungles. And second of all, the forestry practices. I interviewed uh, forestry experts. You can now log forests using so-called sustainable forestry instead of clear cutting, cutting out swaths where within seven years, you, can, you can't distinguish between the species or plant or animal species of a forest that's been logged versus not. So they've got better logging techniques, People are leaving the jungles, going to cities and urban areas. And that's one thing. The other thing I want to mention is in 2000, late 2007, 8, they had a bunch of energy predictions about where our trajectory was going with American energy. And no one foresaw the fracking revolution. And in fact, the United States led the world in reducing CO2 because we had the technological innovation of fracking and, and natural gas replacing coal power in the United States. So we did better than all the people in Europe who shamed Donald Trump for pulling out of the UN Paris Agreement. The US was leading the world in reducing CO2 emissions. At the same time, we were energy dominant for the first time since Harry Truman was president because we were booming domestically with energy to the point where we had more energy exports than imports. And we had, um, because uh, then what happens is Joe Biden came in and then offshored all of our energy, started offshoring energy to the Middle East, to China, to Venezuela, uh, and even Russia. And what happens is we're all we're doing is sending our energy needs to countries with poor human rights and environmental records, which means they're going to have more CO2 emissions. So innovation is absolutely the way forward, whatever you believe uh, about climate change. And that should always be the method to go. I, but that's the point. Both sides of the argument should agree on that one thing. Whether you believe we are significantly yeah. impacting or can significantly do anything with it or not, you should still be advocating for innovation. And that's that. I mean, I, this is what I keep saying. If you're really serious about this, why are you not serious about carbon capture? Why are you not serious about nuclear energy? Why are you not serious about l proper forestry management? Wh why not? Tell me why. I mean, I understand nuclear's got a bad rap, but they don't understand the fifth generation uh, reactors that are out there. But go ahead, Mark. Well, the big reason is they're focused on mandates. They're focused on banning. I mean, so what you've seen since March of 2020 at an unbelievable accelerated pace is the essentially the intentional collapse of energy to the point where the UK power chief, the, Swe the, the Sweden's power chief are all saying people can't get used to uh, constant electricity when it's available. It's the intentional collapse of energy creating shortages, and then they want to nationalize the industry. The intentional collapse of transportation, France banning flights of less than two and a half hours with talk of possibly going to four hour bans, an EU wide ban being pushed by Greenpeace is six hour ban, forcing people into cars, which is by the way, a higher death toll than flying, and trains. And then you also have um, the electric car mandates, gas part, gas, uh, powered car bans coming from California, starting California executive order, then the unelected air resources board implements it by 2035, trying to eliminate gas powered engines. 20 states under trigger laws are going to be following it. The Biden administration wants a model at the federal level. Here's how deep it gets, Dr. Drew. The World Bank telling automakers that they're not going to be financing uh, gas powered cars. 
Corporate banks, one in Australia and others, are now announcing they won't give out car loans if you buy a gas-powered car. And you have uh, cities in Colorado, California, banning the creation of new gas stations, creating gas station shortages. So here's a question. Did anyone vote for banning gas-powered cars? Did anyone vote for making meat a rare and expensive treat in the World Economic Forum? You got Bill Gates, intentional collapse of agriculture. Bill Gates, number one farmland owner in America. By the way, just edged out China, by the way, as a farmland owner. What's Bill Gates' stated goal? And by the way, that's according to NBC News. So that's not like some secret document or anything like that. Bill Gates' stated goal is to get the Western world to eat synthetic beef. He's invested in the, uh, the, the vegetable oil meat, but he's also invested heavily with Richard Branson, another billionaire, into the uh, lab-grown meat. And I'm not making this up. They get the stem cells from a cow or a lamb with fetal blood. They put it into a steel vat. They grow it. They have additives. They might need antibiotics. And then in the end, they print it on a 3D printer with food coloring and dye to imitate the texture of the meat. Bill Gates says that no one in the Western world should be eating livestock, actual animal meat. We should only be eating synthetic beef. And he's trying to make that a reality as America's number one farmland owner. He has huge sway, not only in public policy at the WHO, but also in agricultural policy. So tensional collapse of energy, transportation, and, and now food. That is what the Great Reset is really all about. And that's what we're living through at this moment. They're creating intentional shortages so that they can then either nationalize industries or subsidize people who can't afford it, universal basic income comes to mind. And then those voters are beholden to the people pushing these policies. This certainly does look like every historical evolution into trouble. I mean, all the the earmarks are there. Uh, I do think people are pushing back a little bit, but the question is, are they pushing back enough? And in the meantime, you have the EU and Canada seemingly all in on all this stuff. Um, I don't know. I'm, maybe we should align ourselves with Africa, who seems to have no patience with any of this, and and might be uh, they did, an fact, interesting they refused, way. W- they refused way out, the vaccine, right? and they couldn't even they couldn't even give Africans the vaccine. And Africa fared better than any other continent. Uh, the African citizens, of course, they're younger, but they they literally couldn't force the vaccine on them. They didn't want it. Uh, And so what ends up happening, even like everything, the weird Orwellian stuff, like, for instance, if you're a vaccine denier, the Merriam-Webster dictionary changed the definition to not someone who doesn't take vaccines and never takes it, but someone who doesn't support vaccine mandates. So they've changed the language on this. Wow, that's that's, interesting. It's incredible. So you you could have taken every COVID vaccine, every booster, and still be a vax denier because you don't support vaccine mandates, according to the new dictionary definition. Wow. Oh, my God. So, Mark, uh, take a breath. We're going to uh, pay some bills. Uh, there's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Caleb's got it up there, the anti-vaxxer thing. Uh, Mark's book is The Great Reset. Let's put that up there as well. Please uh, check that out. And uh, when we get back from this little break, 15-minute uh, cities, You're going I've heard a lot of, I really don't know anything about it. I've heard a lot of sort of consternation around it. You're going to tell me why that should be a concern right after this. Okay. I suspect you've seen Susan and I gushing over Paleo Valley products. We love the taste and how well they fit into a paleo-based nutrition regimen. They're delicious, and we use them for travel all the time. But there's more. We are huge fans as well of Paleo Valley's grass-fed bone broth protein. It comes in three flavors, unflavored, vanilla and chocolate. 
It's a powder. You can add to really anything. We add it to coffee literally every day. Smoothies, baked dishes, or just hot water dissolves really easily. The bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow simmered to extract as much collagen as possible. As we age, collagen breaks down. That's what wrinkles are. And research shows that there are significant benefits to adding a collagen source in your diet. I think it's too much to say it's changed our lives. And Susan is now reporting that after drinking the bone broth for a few weeks, her hair is stronger and longer and nails are stronger too. Try it for yourself. You can order at drdrew.com slash paleovalley and use Dr. Drew at checkout to save an additional 15%. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe. It is a form of a mild blood thinner that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code DREW at checkout for 10% off today. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval, dating back to biblical times, gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com slash Drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D dot com slash D-R-E-W. And we are back with Mark Moreno. Yes, I see what they're saying over there on the Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> I hear Susan laughing out loud. There's but, a lot of love over on Rumble today. Yeah, but Susan, you wanted to say something. Yeah, so I just want to let everybody know that the sponsors are so gracious to come on the, you know, give us their products on our show, but we love all of them. And the newest one, the bone broth, the chocolate bone broth in your coffee in the morning is amazing. Ridicu Drew. I, I do not start my day with it. It's ridiculous. And I, my I hair to on it. the top of my head is growing back and I can't believe it because I've done everything to make it grow back. 
And I guess the collagen's building the, and the strength of my hair. You guys are making fun of my beef stick. Here, here's one right here. <laughs> I, I eat these things all Don't the time. Don't show your beef I eat stick. These things all the time. So thank you for making fun of us. Susan. No, we love we love these sponsors. <laughs> no, and also I, we have a new teeth whitening system that are that's amazing that we had at the top of the hour. In case you guys missed it. Oh no! Did, did that include that the that toothbrush saved our life? Yeah. Well, we're no, not not, not that, that one yet. yet. But. All right, we but talking, you're talking about Paleo Valley, and I've tried every all of the flavors. They are all delicious, yep. and original is my yep. favorite one. Like I, I ate those really? all on my flights. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've consumed you like dozens of them already. Your, <laughs> no, he means the beast. The sticks, you can add the it sticks. to your, yeah. your soup. Oh yeah. yeah, but if you use the original flavor of the bone broth, you can put it in soups or mix it in with your chili, and it's just it's so good. And then it's just nutritional. I love it. Yeah. So. Right. I just and, wanted to give my uh, and just really quick before we drop the uh, the all of our our great products here, Caleb, have we aired the interview I did with the? Uh, no, it's coming that, on Friday. Friday, the, the woman that okay. from Friday. the teeth whitening. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, that's an impressive group too. But Paleo the, Valley, the Paleo Valley woman is just such a, a yes. You know, she's thinking everything is carefully done. Yeah, it's on Rumble, uh, I think. It's um, yes, it's on Rumble, and it's on DrDrew.com as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Right. The other interview right. is going up on this Friday. DrDrew.com. She right. talks about all the benefits of, you know, bone broth. It's, and it's fermented as opposed to done. It, everything is done very, very carefully. And she's and they and they are they're and back to the climate thing. And it helps your gut too. They're regenerative agriculture specialists and they're paying a lot of attention to the the land and the and the the animals and it's it's done properly. So it's look, I this is let's bring Mark back. So Mark Morant Morano again. Let's talk the, about uh, the book is uh, the Great Reset. Whitening but, your teeth, but with just Mark be, you know, we're, we're taking aim at some of this stuff. But the, the reality he has is, nice teeth. But but like every <laughs> but like everything that uh, gets excessive, which is the really what we're complaining about is the excesses of this thing. Yes. Because I'm all for regenerative agriculture. I'm all for you know look, paying attention to carbon foot. I I'm all for it. But it's the excesses and the mandates and the totalitarian approach. That really is what is so disturbing. And it was the same in COVID, same exact thing. It is. And that's really almost like, the, that's almost the end game more than anything is how can they seize control in COVID climate? By the way, COVID was so much more effective than climate. Remember Greta Thunberg's, I want you to panic. That's what she told the UN in her famous speech in New York. I want you to panic. Why? Because when you panic, you don't make good decisions. You're not rational. You're emotional and you're rushing. And so that's what they did during COVID. They said, we want you to panic. But here's the difference. You can't get people to be afraid of, you know, whether hurricanes are going to be bad in the year 2050 or how many polar bears. But you sure can scare the hell out of them if you say grandma's going to die, your kid's going to die. We need to lock down. In Spain, they wouldn't even let kids out of the house for weeks on end. And don't think we had it too easy because in the United States, I think it was Deborah Burks who at one point praised Italy's extreme lockdown yep. and said, wouldn't, oh, wouldn't, yes. it, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been great if we had locked down like Italy where you could only leave your house one hour a week and you needed a government permit to go to the grocery store? This is what these public health mentality no, no, was. I, 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 I'm telling you, I, people, the, the whole, the whole um, fictional notion of the mad scientist and the mad doctor, I'm telling you where it came from. It came from physicians that become evangelical on a topic when they're evangelizing and not doing their job in a systematic way, when they become evangelical, you get opioid overprescribing. These were, they were pain evangelists. You get 
Deborah Burks running around the country evangelizing for lockdown. That is how humans get harmed. And it doesn't take a large number of these physicians to get control of the regulatory agencies and to have a massive impact on our lives. So please be aware of that. My other question is you keep saying that they want control. They want control. That's what they're going for. Do they know that's what they're doing? Or is there something intrinsic in human nature that in history, humans, when they gather in organizations, eventually do something like this? Well, it's an ideology. What I mean is they know they're doing it. Again, in my book, I go back in the United States. It really goes back to Woodrow Wilson, and it was called the administrative state. Woodrow Wilson, when he was president, about 1914, they came to him with this proposal of essentially making life better for Americans. And what does that mean? Now, on this, yeah. I'm giving you the positive spin, their side of it. You'll see it as control, but this is the way they see it. And so they proposed to Woodrow Wilson that essentially experts would take over many aspects of American society and make it easier for people to go about their daily lives. In other words, you would have, in fact, by the time they got to Franklin Roosevelt, I quote Stuart Chase, who was his socialist kitchen cabinet advisor, and he literally proposed in the 1930s, just 20 years after Woodrow Wilson was proposing the administrative state, essentially a primitive version of the Great Reset, where they actually openly talked about government control of communication and propaganda. That's their word. And that's what they're doing today. Make no mistake, big tech censorship is government censorship. We know now, obviously, through the, the, the Twitter files and through the Freedom of Information that the government was farming out censorship to big tech direct collusion between the government, between our intelligence agencies and, and censoring people. So that's what they proposed in the 1930s. They also proposed nationalizing our food production, nationalizing our energy and nationalizing our transportation. Everything we're talking about now, the difference is they had a slow creep and you had, you know, you had back and forth throughout the decades, a big pushback when Reagan was elected, another pushback in the 90s. Then you had advances maybe with Obama with bypassing democracy. But March of 2020 changed all of that. So the idea behind this is they think they're saving us from ourselves. Remember, that's what lockdowns were. We couldn't be told a guidance like wear a mask or stay at home. We had to be mandated to do it. They had to force us. They had to go to the point where L.A. Mayor Garcetti was threatening people uh, if they had too many people in their backyard barbecue, neighbors would get rewards if they snitched on you. And you'd have your utility, your water and your electricity cut off. That's the difference. They thought they were helping society and helping people. So it's a mindset. It's not necessarily I don't want to simplify this as A, they're being paid or B, they're just power hungry. They actually believe they're doing good. And I think that's really what's ultimately not necessarily Klaus Schwab. I think he's evil, if that can be used there. But I think a lot of the corporations and a lot of the cabinet ministers and a lot of the uh, bureaucrats who go to these Davos meetings, they think they're helping people because they just think, look, we're the experts. We've studied this. We come from the best universities. We have decades of experience. We have advanced degrees. Why would you let uh, you know, a plumber in Idaho make these decisions about their lives? We'll do central bank digital currency. We'll stop the misinformation so these people don't die because they're refusing to take this life-saving vaccine. We're going to uh, improve the food supply. They can't, if they keep farming the way they have for thousands of years, they're going to end the planet. So we need to have, you know, introduce uh, insects as an alternative protein. We need to have this lab grown meat and the same thing, transportation. We can't let people drive these cars. It's, it's out of control. We need to force people essentially the world economic forum. Their great reset vision is you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, 
for transportation, you could say you'll go nowhere and be happy because that's really what they're pushing in that. So, is, so the, that's is that the, is that the fifteen is that the fifteen minute city? Tell, tell me about oh, that. What, what is that model? Yes, this this is something. Well, if you want, I was to say start on on slide twenty four, and I was going to just run through to lead up to the fifteen minute city to give you an idea of where this is coming. So, if you, if you have a, can you show the PowerPoint on on slide uh, twenty four? The fifteen minute city. It's just now being experimented. It starts next year in Oxford, England is one of the first places to actually implement it. But here's why, it's an extreme climate view. Remember how we had COVID zero and you had New Zealand trying to push that, the idea of no cases, if yeah. even one case you yeah. shut down. By the way, Bill Gates, multiple occasions has said, if you wanna know how to handle the next pandemic, pandemic, do what Australia did. And what did Australia do? They had mm. the second most draconian lockdown next to China. And Bill Gates, this is what he's pushing. So if you go back to 2013, the UN and the climate world actually said, Evo de Boer, the only way the UN Paris Climate Agreement, we, had, we can achieve the goal is to shut down the global economy. Now, go to the next one because this, I'm leading up to 15 Minute City. In November 2019, right before COVID lockdowns, the UN, this is the actual screenshot of the UN website, they demanded 7% yearly cuts in CO2. What happened? Boom. You fast forward. Next slide. 2020, one year later, with COVID lockdowns, guess what? We achieved the, the climate goals of the United Nations. There was an exact 7% reduction in CO2. That is as impressive as Babe Ruth calling where he's going to hit the baseball uh, in that controversial claim that they had from the, 19, uh, the 1930s. So let's go to the next one here. In 2021, the UK Guardian's headline, global lockdown every two years needed to meet the, the, the Paris goals. So this is the mindset of public health. This is the mindset of the climate and the bureaucratic establishment beholden to the World Health Organization and the UN. Remember, 2018, World Health Organization declares climate the existential threat of the 21st century. So they're already on top of this. Next slide, this is important because the International Energy Agency in 2021 was pushing a shift away from private car use and upper speed limits as long as as well as thermostat controls. Go to the next one. This is major organs of our society. The next one is a UK absolute zero report. And if you look at it, stop flying, no new roads, airport closures, stop eating beef, stop doing, stop doing anything that causes emissions. So I'm just setting this up for you, Dr. Drew. This is the mindset of these city planners, of the bureaucrats who are, who are enamored with the United Nations, world health, world economic. Go to the next one. This is the journal Nature, the premier scientific journal of the world. Now, people say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Media Matters calls me a great reset conspiracy theorist. Well, wait a minute. Everything I'm citing is mainstream, corporate, mainstream peer-reviewed journal. I'm not citing secret documents. I'm not citing secret recordings. I'm not citing obscure blog posts. I'm giving you what they're saying, the quiet parts out loud. The journal Nature, and I think this is 2021, COVID lockdowns are key to begin personal carbon allowances to achieve a safer climate. And this is what they started. So they're starting, this is in the scientific journal calling for carbon budgets. We're leading up to this. The British medical journal called for meat and dairy consumption, but look at the transportation. Um, substantially fewer journeys by car. Did you ever think the British medical journal would be talking about how often you drive your car? They're not doing it because 
it's bad for your health to drive your car. They're saying it because it's bad for the planet. This is where they're coming from. Next one, and then which leads us, here we are. This is the Oxford Mail reporting on what they call traffic filters or 15 minute cities. And this is now being pushed throughout Europe and it hasn't come to the United States just yet, but this is, uh, it's, it's already appeared in Bristol, Ipswich, London, Birmingham, Oxford. And the idea here is they're gonna, city planners and bureaucrats are gonna make your experience living everything within a 15 minute walk. Your doctor, your job, your gym, your businesses, your grocery store. There's no reason to leave. If you remember the words in New Zealand, Prime Minister, stay in your bubble during COVID lockdowns. You're supposed to trust the government as the only source of news. But she said, stay in your bubble. This is essentially, instead of your COVID bubble, this is your climate bubble. Now, what they do is if you leave the neighborhood, they can actually fine you. You can get, you get, I think, starting out up to two visits a week, if I'm not mistaken, at the Oxford model. And what's funny is they did a whole, Oxford City Council did a whole fact check and the media picked up like, oh, these are, these are people misinterpreting what we're doing. I use the, if you ever, this is a little shortcut for you. If you look at any fact check from corporate media, usually you can find the truth in those, but what they do in the fact check, it's a misdirection. They go some extreme claim that no one's making and they spend 80% of the article telling you how these are all lies and don't trust media and, and this agency's wrong and you, none of this is true. And then they actually incorporate what is true. And that's usually how I, when I did my book, The Great Reset, I would use a lot of these fact checks and, I, and buried in the fact check was the truth and it validated the legitimate concerns. Now, most of the fact checks spent time on stuff that no one was claiming or that maybe a few people on Twitter or some social media. But essentially, you get to leave a few times a week. If you leave, you have to pay a fine. They've actually had videos now of some of these practices where they have gates up for people trying to escape. And the idea is you're gonna, you don't need to leave. This was one of the things when the Great Reset, World Economic Forum, actually did a video. You'll own nothing, be happy. And they actually said, everything you want will be delivered by drone. And their vision of this 15-minute city was you'll have, you can on an app, call up and they can deliver like a kitchen appliance and it'll come in a drone, will drop it off at your front porch, you'll use it for a few hours, you won't even own that appliance. And then when you're done, you'll put it out and the drone will come pick it up and take it away. They did a whole report on how this would work. The arrogance and conceit of these bureaucrats who think they can micromanage so that you never have to leave your 15 minute bubble. Beyond that, think about what's happening. Their whole call, call, uh, calls against private car ownership, Boris Johnson's transportation minister said owning a car, outdated 20th century thinking. If you remember uh, Andrew Yang, who ran for the Democrat party nomination, said owning a car uh, is not necessary, that people should be able to just abolish private car ownership and call up an app and get a ride share if you need a car. Other things have called for if you need a truck, you can go to and rent one. They want to go after private car ownership. Now tie that into what France just did, actual tangible evidence of a climate lockdown banning the two and a half hour flight. All of this is keeping you in place. They want to have a world where that seaside vacation, that international trip is going to be a purview of only the super wealthy, like it was 100 plus years ago, when only the wealthy could afford these luxuries. They're now imposing this upon the rest of us. And these 15 minute cities, are frightening and they're going to start out more liberal than you could imagine but then there's nothing to stop them from constricting constricting remember the income tax started out as what one percent 
and then continued to grow from there. So they're going to try to make it as harmless as possible when they start. But if once you concede the concept that you need to stay within 15 minutes to save the climate, you've conceded yourself to totalitarianism. Oh, that's my cherry note. Let me, today, uh, <laughs> yeah, lovely. I'm, I'm so excited. This is uh, <laughs> the, the great uh, future I had in mind when I was working so hard all those years for, for my own kids. Let me take a couple of calls off the Twitter spaces, if you yeah. guys don't mind. That's so crazy. Um, you just sort of raise your hand there, uh, and then I'll bring you up, and you make sure you unmute your mic once you're connected. Hey, uh, I see a lot of you there. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Let's say hi, Josh, what's happening? Uh, not much. So there's two things. One, I would say that it's sort of mind-boggling to think that the, the climate doesn't have an effect. I, I feel like it does have to have an effect on us. And likewise, we have to have an effect on it. Um, the mm -hmm. second thing I will say is that it seems as though a lot of people are helping like your guests and trying to get people to focus on what's really important. I think that's true too, because a lot of people are very focused on climate, but they're not so focused on their own lives and how they might be falling behind and how they could do a lot better for themselves, not to worry so much about the environment. Um, and then the third thing I will say is how do we get to sort of an enlightened vision about all of this together? Cause it seems to include COVID and I feel like it's beyond politics. And I feel like we really need to keep at it and keep going. Um, and I feel yes, like yes, this is what, Josh, this is what you no, said. I think, you're I think right. we can find a solution. I think we can find a solution. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. And I think uh, staying positive, innovating, I think uh, staying communal, uh, being free, <laughs> sharing ideas, all all the things that we have always what done. If you, what if you, you want to live in a 15-minute city? Then move to one, that's, you know, but let right. people who don't want to live somewhere else. Well, here's the thing. Well, if it's, it, I'm saying it all just this, seems silly. you don't have to believe me. Here's another person. First of all, I cite all mainstream sources, but Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 
I interviewed him at 2014 at the Climate March. He wanted to jail energy CEOs like the Koch brothers at The Hague for three square meals and a cop. He's an environmental lawyer. He's always been a huge climate activist. Fast forward, COVID comes along. He's been completely red-pilled. He now says, I will not talk about climate during this campaign, run for president. He says that, the, that he now recognizes that the climate change issue is being used by COVID as a tool for totalitarianism by the United Nations, by the World Health Organization, by the World Economic mm. Forum. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the man who wanted to jail energy CEOs and wanted to punish politicians for not believing, has now completely backed off. That is a significant issue. In fact, the campaign even reached out to me and wanted the full video of my interview with him from 2014 because people, I think people are stunned at this evolution because to go from that, and he sees the exact same forces of this. And I think, I don't want to make sure, before we end this interview, Dr. Drew, before it's over, I want to give you the positive news and how to fight back. But, but essentially, I think people are waking up across the world. And I think our biggest mistake as sort of COVID lockdown skeptics and climate you know, agenda skeptics was not pushing, particularly in March of 2020, we kept waiting for people like, okay, people aren't gonna put up with this. They're not, okay, this has gone too far. And we waited, 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 and nothing really came. No one pushed back. The next time true. we have to push back immediately, we have to organize it, we have to start at day one. And that's what I think is needed. But the biggest thing I think we need, and I spend the last chapter of my book, The Great Reset talking, we need emergency power reform because right now, and I think it was Dr. Marty McCary who said this, uh, there's literally nothing that, that we've done since COVID, March of 2020, that would prevent them from doing it all over again. In fact, in many ways, you could argue they're accelerating it if we sign on to this WHO pandemic treaty. So we need emergency power reform so that they can't bypass democracy. And of course, Everything, I didn't get to talk about it, but ESG, environment, social governance, is a corporate collusion between uh, government and uh, the, the finance industry to basically force companies to go woke. Uh, and it's an incredible, a, uh, incredible way to bypass democracy. But that is now being pushed back. Many attorney generals, the, the public out, are pushing back against it. The public outcry is so much now that places like Vanguard are dropping this ESG, which is just anti-democratic. And people are, it's now become toxic. And I think that whole pushback uh, of the lockdowns and of the ESG and of the government power grabs, I, I think this is important. I just wish it would show up more in our elected officials. Again, Capitol Hill is dead to these issues. Of course, presidential candidates like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Vivek Ramaswamy, to a lesser extent, Ron DeSantis, although he was the model governor of Florida, we'll talk about it. Donald Trump, I'm conflicted on because he, he won't admit his role in empowering Fauci and being duped by Deborah Burks. I wish he would. I don't know that he's capable of it, but he needs to come clean and admit he should never have agreed to 10 days to flatten the curve. But, but hopefully these presidential candidates will propose that we can never allow this to happen again. It's not enough that we just don't comply. We have to stop, change these laws so they can't declare an emergency and become essentially every mayor and governor became dictators overnight. Right, uh, telling people to sure. shelter. Our mayor was telling people to By shelter. By the way, there's JFK is doing a speech right now. RFK. So, I mean, RFK, RFK not RFK. JFK. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, um, I, I hate to like shoo everybody over there, but I just want to let you know, Drew. I don't know if you were. Uh, I don't know where. Where is it? Is it on the. Caleb, wait, hang on a second. Caleb, is that us? Uh, yes, yes no, that, no, no. that's he's, he's, that's what I've, I was told by the booking producer is that we actually have him booked yes. for July 3rd. 
So oh, we have Vivek great. Ramaswamy on the show July 3rd. So the day before the 4th of July, that is Vivek Ramaswamy. We will discuss some of these very same issues. Maybe I'll get you to call in on Twitter spaces, uh, Mark, to sort of pimp him a little bit about some of this stuff. So yeah. Yeah, would you want to do that maybe? Well, I can say one thing. Yeah, I would love to. Absolutely. And Vivek it really gets yeah. the issue and he gets climate, he gets COVID. One other thing is when you look at someone like Mike Pence, and I'm not trying to single him out, but he had his autobiography come out this year. And there was a great analysis. I think it was Jeffrey Tucker who wrote an analysis of this book, but it, Mike Pence, and I've read all the relevant excerpts of this, literally has no problems with the COVID lockdown. He praises Fauci. He brags about getting a collusion between 3M and the government to get masking everywhere. He brags about getting ventilators in hospitals, which later doctors had to stop because there was like a 70% death rate. And they, you know, they, were, they were literally admitted to ventilating COVID patients because because then the person becomes a closed loop and can't spread it to the staff. So they were doing it to protect themselves, not patient care. But Mike Pence's book, which came out in 2023, seems completely oblivious to COVID and what it meant. And it's just incredible that there's still mainstream candidates out there, a former vice president, who cannot get it and not even be on the same page and understand any of this. Jenny, you're uh, muted. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. Um, my question is for Mark. Um, Mark, I'm sorry I haven't read your book, and I, I don't know much about you. This is actually my first introduction to you. But I'm curious, um, do you believe in climate change? And if you do, what do you think are the top three things that we could do to actually seriously address it? And, and okay, let me let me pile on Jenny a little bit. Hang on, Mark, sure. before you ask that. Also, sure. tell me what your what the belief what the absolute worst predictions are of climate change. I mean, what are the absolute, in terms of people painting the most dire predictions, scientists, legitimate people, what are the most dire predictions about climate? So if you could answer her question in mind, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, the most dire predictions, the deadlines have already passed. You had in 1989, the UN warning that entire nations will be under the sea if we're not checking global warming. 1864, when Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States. A, a academic named George Marsh actually said that mankind faces climatic, uh, climatic excess unless we change our ways. What they basically predict is, and they'll scare you, Al Gore's film will say, Antarctica with melts, Florida will be half underwater, and you get the graphic of Florida underwater. But here's the thing, okay, the simple way to explain this humans influence the climate. We influence it through land use. We can influence it through, uh, we can influence it through carbon dioxide. We can also cool the climate. In the 1970s, I have a whole chapter in my book, Green Fraud, about how science there was going to be a about... new ice age. Why was I yes. was an adolescent, and that's what we were obsessed with. It was on the cover of Time yeah. magazine. There was going to be a new ice age, and we couldn't avoid it. So any of us that have lived through acid rain and predicted famine and predicted ice age, no, Susan, it was like ten years. They predicted it everywhere, and you live through that stuff, and you, you get a little skeptical every time another one comes around. But go ahead, Mark. <laughs> But actually, in fact, in the 1970s, they believed our fo before fossil fuels caused global warming, fossil fuels caused global cooling. They believed our, our aerosols from our fossil fuel use were causing global dimming, blocking out the sun. And if you read from what Newsweek said, what papers and scientific journals, what NASA scientists said, they were blaming hurricanes, floods, tornadoes on man-made global cooling. They were warning about national conflict and wars increasing because of man-made global cooling. Famines. They wanted to put soot on the Arctic. So 
And they also wanted a primitive Green New Deal. They wanted wealth redistribution, sovereignty limiting treaties, uh, you know, reductions in free markets. I mean, it was all the same impulse of top-down central government control, concentration of power, and fewer and fewer hands. Well, to answer the question about climate, let's start with polar bears. Polar bears are disappearing, but only from Al Gore's books and movies. In 2006, Al Gore featured the polar bear as the, as the, the poster child of climate change. He had a sequel, 2017, no mention of climate change. Why did it disappear? Because polar bears are at or near historic population highs. They've never counted this many polar bears. So Al Gore, instead of addressing it, just ignored it. Now, if you look at the geologic history, I, I like to simplify this by saying the climate is governed by literally hundreds of factors. And I actually cite the climate activists admitting that. And if you look at it, it's everything from tilt of the Earth's axis, water vapor, methane, clouds, volcanoes, um, and sun, and of course, methane, carbon, and car carbon dioxide, all of these factors interact. The idea that carbon dioxide is the control knob of the climate is where climate skeptics make their point, not whether CO2 can increase warming in the atmosphere, because you can have a warming of the atmosphere without a climate catastrophe. And that's where people lose it. When they talk about this 97%, it's scientists basically saying, yes, yeah, CO2 can have a warming effect, do you believe in global warming? It's meaningless. If you go back to like the Roman Republic about the year zero AD, temperatures are about at or either have stayed the same or cooled. If you go to the medieval warm period from 900 AD to 1300 AD, temperatures about the same. If you look at current temperatures, you hear the hottest year on record. If you compare those hottest years on record that they claim, it's within hundreds of degrees. It's within the margin of error of the data set. These are literally political statements. And in my books and in my reports, I actually quote the NASA scientists admitting how they're not that big of a deal, but the media runs with it to scare you that this is some unprecedented warming. It's like someone who's 6'1 and you know a fraction of an inch, if they're 6'1 and maybe a slight more fraction of an inch, you say they're at record height. This has never been measured before. So that's one thing. But yeah, but, but let's, so, so here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to stop you and just say we should have learned that from COVID. We saw what the press does with COVID. That now the curtain has been pulled. We see they use panic and fear to to run their business to get more viewers. But Jenny asked the question: What what do you think we should do? Well, okay. What, one last point: extreme weather, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, wildfires, droughts. There's no trend on climate timescales, 30, 50, 100 years, or declining trends. This is actually mentioned in the UN, UN reports. Actually mentioned in the IPCC reports. To answer your question, and I have a whole chapter. This, the, the path forward is to innovate, improve efficiency, clean up the environment, and you need wealth. You need wealth and wealth creation, and you need free markets to have really actually do that. If we actually faced a climate emergency, the way forward would be the way we were doing it when we were leading the world and reducing CO2, which is innovation, technology, and the wealthier societies have the cleaner environments, and we're the ones that can actually uh, improve. If you care about CO2, we're the ones that can actually reduce CO2, not by banning everything in the Western world and then saying, it's okay, we'll just buy from the Middle East or we'll beg Venezuela for the oil, or we'll get all the rare earth mining from China as Biden shuts down rare earth mining in the US. That makes no sense. We're doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing if you actually believed we faced a climate emergency. Jenny, does that do it for you? Yes, yeah, thank you. Okay, you guys. <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> and uh, 
Let me uh, get keep it short. Wait, wait a second, Mark. So you're not oh, you're ahead. not actually you're not denying that climate change is real. You're just like everything I've read about you lists and says you're a climate change denier. But it sounds like that you it's you're like looking being at a vax science. denier, anti-vax. Right. It's like being anti-vax. Yeah. You, you, it's it's exactly. all, exactly. all yes. the nomenclature changes. The word denier is you know, ridiculous. I mean, there's a guy named Roger Pilkey Jr. who they call a climate denier. He's an extreme weather expert, University of Colorado. This guy says, I accept the premise with the United Nations reports. I think they're good reports. And they still call him a climate denier because he's a climate crisis denier. Just like you can be an anti-vaxxer if you're an anti-vaccine mandate person. Wow. Uh, but I would also say, you know, personally, and from talking to the scientists, I did a report of a thousand dissenting scientists uh, back the last one I did back in 2010 of a thousand plus and the scientists were basically saying yeah we can study co2's effect on climate but there's all these other factors and if you look at the geologic history of the earth we're in the 10 percent coldest period of earth's geologic history 90 percent of earth's history has been warmer than today to to the point where you couldn't have ice at either pole and 90 percent of earth's history has had much higher co2 levels than we have today so we're actually one scientist that testified when I worked in the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, Dr. Will Happer of Princeton, testified that we're currently in a CO2 famine, geologically speaking. So, and NASA has even said increased CO2 is greening the earth. Deserts are shrinking. And of course, the climate spin on that from the activists is, oh, we're going to have more poison ivy and more weeds and more invasive species. But the bottom line is crop yields are booming and the only food threat we face from climate are the climate policies that are shutting down agricultural practices that have brought us high yield agriculture in favor of essentially net zero policies, which are going to shut down all the small farmers and turn it over to corporate agribusiness. And, and that's really what that's the real shame of what they try to do in the Netherlands. It's all the small family run farms they're crushing in the name of climate and all it means is you're gonna create food shortages and you're gonna have big corporate farms that can absorb these climate compliance costs take over. Same thing in airline, by the way, Bloomberg News, big article, climate compliance costs are driving up the price of airline flights. And believe me, banning flights is gonna drive up the flights too, like France is leading the way and the EU is gonna follow. So climate compliance, once again, only big corporations can absorb those costs. This is a war on middle class, it's a war on working class, it's a war on small business, and it's a all about a essentially a corporate, uh, a, a corporate government collusion, which is where we're coming because all these corporations will go along with the climate agenda because they know they can consolidate, increase their power, increase their profits. They have the best lobbyists. This is one reason people say, "Oh, you're an evil oil-funded denier." No, Exxon Mobil. Uh, would hates me. The ExxonMobil supports the UN Paris Agreement. ExxonMobil supported carbon taxes. ExxonMobil's all in on all these things that I'm talking about. And they, they're in on all of it because A, they're an international company and they don't they're not really pro-American. And B, they are they are they know that the higher the costs go, the only the big fish are going to be able to absorb the cost. And this is as old as government regulation. And that's that's the biggest problem. COVID crushed small business, biggest transfer of wealth from poor and middle class to the wealthy, to the point where Gavin Newsom, California governor, bragged that California's economy was doing great because they had more millionaires than ever before as people were crushed in, uh, you know, as the wealth transfer occurred and crushed during COVID lockdown. They're just completely tone deaf. Yeah, it, it, it seems like the corporate government uh what do we call it enmeshment 
uh, is something that Vivek Ramaswamy is pointing at and RFK Jr. Yeah. is pointing at, each with a slightly different emphasis in terms of what they think the issue is. But consistently, that seems to be something that there's good evidence that that coziness is having untoward effect. The other thing, Caleb, about the about the environment, I mean, it would be weird if we didn't affect the affect the environment, right? I mean, of course, yeah. there's five billion of us. Of course, we're going to affect the environment. The question is, though, what can be done about it? Number one, and then number two, where does this this really go? What is what do we do? You know, let's say this continues for a while. What are the most dire predictions? And I look for that all the time. And even the most dire predictions don't sound that significant to me and in fact because i've been through the ice age predictions and the famine predictions and all that stuff yeah. we always end up not really knowing where it's going and what i might do it might have net benefits it might bring the rainforest back it might increase food supplies yeah. it might increase biodiversity it, to, to only look at it as a negative it, it makes no sense at all really and I, I that's the part i have trouble with is we we need to be more humble in the face of what this is or might be Absolutely. You know, and I testified 2019 before a congressional hearing on species extinction. And I also I testified next to the Greenpeace co-founder, Patrick Moore, who's now a climate skeptic and is now an environmental environmentalist skeptic, I should I should say, too. And we were detailed how you know just the environmental progress and people like Bjorn Lomberg also show this and the way you can solve environmental problems. We know how to clean up air and water, development, infrastructure. And what's so perverse, you have places like Africa, one billion people with energy poverty, don't have running water, don't have electricity. And you have the World Bank following the climate agenda. You have Europe with their trade policies, not allowing Africa to develop, limiting their, their financing uh, and limiting their trade and ability to even build themselves up on their own because of the climate agenda, and they keep them poor, which then keeps them uh, essentially poor environment with bad running water, with no running water, you're burning dung in their huts and polluted rivers. We need wealth and development. Um, and you mentioned these predictions. You had Neil Ferguson predicting millions dead, exceeding the Spanish flu. You had Bill Gates saying it could be worse than that, 25 million. The same thing happens in climate where they predict billions will die. You know, that Antarctica will be the only habitable continent, as a, one of the UK's top scientists said in 2004, because global warming is going to be so bad. I have a whole thing. If you want to go to uh, slide 14, I was going to do a show you how the COVID climate, how everything they talk about in uh, COVID, I learned hang, hang during on. climate. If you want to do so that, hold on, anyway. somebody on the restream. I just lost them because the stream comes by so fast. Uh, was saying it's not the it's not the temperature change; it's the rate of increase of change. And somehow I was equating it with the Permian die-off uh, in in uh, you know Jurassic era. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah, there's all sorts of. In fact, Bill Nye, the science guy, well, the rate of it. They were talking about not the rate of increase of temperature. They're talking about the rate of increase in CO2. There have been geologic episodes in the past where CO2 has been increased uh, at fast. But here's the thing about carbon dioxide: it goes up, and many of the scientists on the skeptical side will say, after you, we may have already seen all the warming we're going to get from climate change. The Earth sort of has a homeostasis; it's going to sort of sort itself out that each additional layer of CO2, I think we're currently around 430 parts per million, each additional layer has less of a warming effect as you go forward. Uh, and, I, and again, if you look at the geologic history, there's nothing to be alarmed by. But again, even if you were alarmed by it, 
all you'd have to do is say, how do you handle it? Do you want to be the freest, wealthiest, most innovative country in the world to handle it? Look at sea level rise in the Netherlands. They're not underwater. They, they were able to, using engineering, uh, figure out dikes and figure out uh, a whole way to keep the water at bay for, for centuries now. They're in, they're, you, know, you can adapt to a changing climate, be it man-made or, uh, man or natural. So if you look at all this, what they're really doing is, and ask this question, flip it around, what impact will this policy have on the climate? And you could ask that of the old Obama climate bills in the Senate, which never never passed the Democrat Senate because the Democrats couldn't support it, and especially people like Al Franken jumped off board because of what it would do to the, the Rust Belt states. And then you ask, what's the impact? What's the impact on global CO2? Not even on, you know, not even on global warming, just what's the impact on global CO2? And you'll find that it's not even measurable. So everything that they, they talk about as a solution is literally just making us poorer and turning over more of our decisions to unelected bureaucrats to determine what's best for us, a la COVID lockdowns. And so is that, uh, do we have those slides, Caleb, or did you, did you catch that? To uh, throw slide up there 14, to get to the COVID. Are you there? Okay. There we go. So this, this, yeah, this was a book, 1985, all I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Well, all I need to know about COVID, I learned during the climate change debate. So go to the next one. Greta Thunberg wants you to panic. Boom, the next one. In COVID, all they wanted you to do was panic. Actually, Bill Gates predicted 30 million dead. By the way, this is Forbes, this is Financial Times. Notice everything I'm presenting to you is mainstream corporate. I'm not giving you some secret sources or anything like that. So the same template in COVID and climate, make a scary prediction, tell people that unless you do ABC, we're all gonna die, exact comparison. In the climate debate, billionaires bought the media. Uh, the, the Associated Press, NPR, accepting millions of dollars from foundations to essentially do climate activist reporting. It's no longer journalism. Next one. In the COVID debate, billionaires bought the media. Bill Gates pumping tens of millions of dollars to media. Almost all the interviews he does is friendly media. The only time you'll see an off question and maybe if he's traveling and he gets an Australian journalist who's not on his payroll. Bill Gates bought the media on COVID. Pharmaceuticals by the media. You go to the next one. In UN, in climate, UN and governments are the single source of truth. UN actually declared this last fall. I was at the UN climate uh, summit in Egypt, in Sharm el Sheikh, Egypt. They actually said, quote, we own the science, the world should know it. We partnered with Google to ensure only UN climate results appear. Then next slide, in COVID, government said they were the single source of truth. Fauci himself said, I am the science, science equals me. This is literally exact parallels. One more, climate debate, Al Gore and Google track your every move. This just happened last fall. They're gonna have thousands of satellites with an Al Gore group and Google monitoring farms and factories so that the idea is they can then do regulations and fines and punishments. This is frightening stuff, but hey, go to the next slide. Big government tracked your every move. CDC was already tracking our cell phones. In Australia, they had the track and trace app where if you went to a grocery store, you'd be alerted later if you, if you six hours later, you could have been near someone who tested positive for the virus. And then if you didn't self-isolate at home, they could force you into a government quarantine camp for weeks. So this is scary stuff. So anyway, that's all I can do. I, yeah, I'll I stop remember there, it all. But I can, I can yeah. yeah, that's the parallel. We, we will leave it at that. Video. Yeah, yeah. The, the parallels are extraordinary. And COVID sort of, I, in, in weird ways, it sort of did us a favor. It, it sort of showed us 
some really serious problems in our system, uh, not the least of which, as I said, evangel evangelical physicians. And as you said, the, um, the extreme uh, emergency uh, authorities that they have, the, the, the abilities they have to cut right through the, the, the Constitution, frankly. It's one of the weaknesses of our system that needs to be figured out. And uh, I will bring all that up with Vivek Ramaswamy on July 3rd. Uh, July 3rd, is that correct, uh, Caleb? That yes, right that's correct. I think that's right. Okay. Mark, yeah, I, I want to thank you for coming in. I hope you'll come back when I, I talk to Vivek. I think uh, it was a very interesting conversation. I think people learned a lot. And we have, a, we have an audience that sort of is probably already in your camp. I, I, I remain just uh, sort of humbly neutral, just trying to figure things out as I always am. But uh, but a yeah. lot of my time is spent thinking, what's going on here? Why are we doing this? What 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 is this all about? And as time goes on, that thinking around COVID uh, turned out to be pretty much correct. And it also uncovered a lot of other aspects of our system that we had no idea was going on. And again, this, uh, this topic, I think, shows a lot of elements such as the World Health Organization and the Davos Group and people like that uh, negotiating and, and planning things that are not necessarily things that people want. Somebody, Maybe some people do. Uh, and uh, I'd be interested in talking to those people, but it's hard to understand how that could go anywhere but where it historically has always gone as opposed to the way it has always gone historically with innovation, which is to betterment for humanity. Mark, uh, again, the book, let's put it up there. It is The Great Reset. Please get it. Read more about this. Uh, and you can follow Mark uh, on Twitter at uh, Climate Depot. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Dr. Drew. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. All right, man. And uh, there's the upcoming guest here, Dick Russell with Dr. Victory tomorrow. Is that reusual time, Caleb? Tell me as I yes. do 22nd on Thursday, yes. we'll do callers. Uh, John Bowden is in here. He's the uh, the Massachusetts uh, gentleman that did a lot of research on death certificates in a couple of other states as well. Tom Rand's coming in on the 28th. He uh, is going to tell us a little more about um, whether or not the funding of gain of function was actually some sort of counter espionage operation. July 3rd, Vivek Ramaswamy and July 5th, Kat Lindley again back with Kelly Victory. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Caleb, Susan, thank you. It's been a very interesting, difficult day. We've got a lot of stuff going on <laughs> technically. Get your bone uh, broth and your yeah, teeth whitening yeah. systems and your. Uh, uh, Caleb is back from his vacation, and uh, we will see you. And tomorrow is three o'clock, correct? Because at yes, one point correct. in my schedule, it said noon. All right, we'll see you all tomorrow at three o'clock Pacific time. Ta ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.